electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Whatever happened to the Death Star? The old nickname for Amazon back when it seemed like an unstoppable super weapon. I still love Amazon. Prime's a great value. Amazon Web Service, dominant cloud infrastructure play. And their advertising business is on fire. But the Death Star? Not after this quarter. On a solid day when the Dow gained 31 points, S&P advanced 0.15% record close. NASDAQ climbed 0.52% to close above 15,000, another record. I can tell you that this quarter will go down. As the quarter where brick and mortar struck back and the Death Star, the Death Star is no more. In retrospect, maybe not the most intimidating nickname, given that the Death Star does get blown up at the end of the movie. (laughs) Of course, it wasn't the force that destroyed the Amazon Death Star myth. It started suddenly with mass vaccinations when we realized that CVS, a leader in the process, wasn't going anywhere, wasn't rolling over. Despite how the stock was constantly getting kicked to the curb every time there was a new rumor about Amazon getting into the pharmacy business. CVS is no longer a frumpy old pharmacy that can't go toe-to-toe with the digital colossus. I don't know where you got your shots, assuming you got them at all, but if you went to the local CVS like I did, you might have seen more of a minute clinic in the store. Meanwhile, we've learned something about human behavior. People don't like getting their medicine by mail. It's too unreliable. Amazon's been trying to upend the pharmacy business for ages, and let's just call it a failure, please. Now the vaccine program has given CVS a new lease on life, can't get that vaccine through Amazon, and we've discovered that there's a lot more to it than we thought. Okay, how about Target? Now, when they acquired Shipt, and that's S-H-I-P-T, if you look at the conference calls, the transcript always says 
S-H-I-P-P-E-D. So get that straight. Uh, Ship, the same day delivery service. We knew they meant business. These days, Target also has the best buy online pickup in store. I really do. You measure them, I think it's the best one. See CEO Brian Cornell explained on a conference call, quote, we added numbered parking lots so that we can find your black SUV among the 12 black SUVs. I like that. He really has a sense of humor, but he, he does allow you to figure out what it looks like, right? They even got a Target app that lets the customers avoid the promo FOMO. Their nickname for, uh, that they use for fear of missing out on the best deals. I like the fact that a local Target of mine in Brooklyn has a third floor largely dedicated to local school uniforms. Uh, if you see Amazon having that kind of thing, uh, uh, let me know, all right? Walmart's made some major moves, too, including today's somewhat quizzical uh, news about the Go Local delivery service, which will also serve other businesses. Arguably, this is a rival to DoorDash. Maybe it's an olive branch to smaller stores that are worried about being crushed by Amazon. Or by Walmart. Go local is too small to be a needle mover, although I still think that Walmart, I I like it enough that I do want it for my charitable trust. You can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, where we have a very big club called Amar. I'm talking about Walmart. Now, I think the Walmart Plus offering where you get unlimited free delivery is gaining some traction. Recently, the company, they started selling private label insulin at 58 to 75 percent discount to the cash price of brand name insulin. That's a stunningly great idea. It goes into the stores. They've done a terrific job with the vaccine rollout. But let me tell you something. If I were running the company, which, by the way, I don't, I'd start using Walmart Plus to give people the best deals on drug prices, just like GoodRx does. That's a fabulous way to bring business into the store, but it's also a great way to sign up people for Walmart Plus. They can use Walmart's tremendous buying clout. Oh, God, I want to do that so bad. All right, well, I put ideas out there. Let's see if they're uh, adopted. But if there was any doubt about the end of Amazon's Death Star status, well, we've got to talk about one of the most impressive turnarounds. We've got to talk about Best Buy. That put it to bed. Now, this is the most miraculous story in retail right now. The stock jumped more than 8% today, not just because Best Buy offers the strongest customer service in electronics, but also because they've introduced a brilliant new service, at-home tech support, that's as good as what you get at the office. Maybe better. Of course, as recently as April, most of us thought America would go all in on vaccinations. The idea that we still need at-home tech support might have seemed ludicrous. Perhaps as ludicrous as Abbott Labs making all those millions of COVID tests in a moment when we believe the virus was almost wiped out. As ludicrous as the idea that companies would have to keep shelling out for cybersecurity to protect all those home offices. Yet now Abbott's on the cusp of a blowout quarter because people can't get enough of its at-home COVID tests. Palo Alto Network's best of breed cybersecurity outfit on last night rallied almost 20% today on an amazing set of numbers. But perhaps the most impressive is what Best Buy is about going, and that's the Total Tech Membership Program. As CEO Corey Barry described it, you get, quote, unlimited Geek Squad technical support on all the technology in their home, no matter where or when you purchase it, including 24-7 dedicated phone and chat teams, end quote. She also throws in 24 months of product production on most purchases, not to mention free delivery for in-store purchases, standard installation, exclusive member pricing, 60-day extended return from Windows, free shipping for online orders. You get it. This is really good. Best Buy's total tech program has already exceeded expectations. It was called beta. Now it's total. And it's easy to see why. Think about this. You probably have an IT department to help you at work, right, in the central office. But what do you have at home? You have nothing to speak of, right? Why well, Zoom goes down? What are you going to do? Which is a problem now that so many people work from home because we never beat the, the pandemic. Best Buy is basically replacing corporate tech support for remote workers. When you're on that Zoom call, you're going to be calling the Geek Squad. 
And it's not going to cost you anything other than the membership club. That's what Barry's done here. Created a membership club that will be an annuity for Best Buy. The people who join are going to buy their electronics from Best Buy, not Amazon. I can remember when we used to joke that Best Buy was merely a showroom for Amazon. Ha ha. But now they've turned the tables on the so-called Death Star, and it is working. This stock has more room to run. Look for multiple upgrades, perhaps as soon as tomorrow. Then there are the companies that have always had the jump on Amazon. And the one there you have to think about is Costco. Now, Costco offers what I call extreme value, meaning the best price per given quantity and quality of an item. Tell me you don't like that term extreme. They have some of the lowest markups in the industry, while Amazon's more like a typical retailer. Plus, Costco pre-selects great items for you, at times getting them for next to nothing, as we basically gave them our delicious lesser evil popcorn for a Christmas promotion before we went broke. And you can't beat the fact that you can get a 40 case of Kirkland water bottles for a little more than three bucks. How can they do that? Oh, and there's a hot tip. By the way, you can get a bottle of water for a quarter when you walk through the door. Have you ever noticed that the people you see working at your Costco are always the same? They got the least turnover of any retailer, not just because they offer the best pay and best benefits. I think people genuinely like working there. They look like they're having a good time. At least as anyone can work in a very tough industry retail. Don't worry, my folks did it. I'm not making fun. That means Costco's customers get the highest quality service in retail. Oh, and let's not forget their fabulous private label brands that are almost superior, or I think are superior to nationally branded stuff. Uh, I use... They're paper towels. Does anyone that use the others? I don't know. And not to mention the chain's whimsical sense of humor, repeat with free samples to black it up. Until this quarter, though, I always feared that with the exception of Walmart and Costco, Amazon could run any of these companies into the ground whenever they felt like it. Instead, the former Death Star is now messing around with brick and mortar, no doubt just to learn about what its competitors already know. If Amazon really needs physical drop-offs, they should just stop trying to reinvent the wheel. Hey, maybe even give up on Whole Foods, which they don't do that good a job on, and buy Kohl's, where they already have some pre-existing return drop-off relationship. Oh, come on, you know they don't do as good a job with Whole Foods. Not like the old days. It's just not. Anyway, bottom line, Amazon's Death Star days, they're done. The remaining brick-and-mortar retailers have their force fields, and they're beaming Amazon's projectiles right back at the once-invincible digital retailer. I still like the company and the stock, but it's no longer laying waste to the entire industry as it used to. How about Mark in Florida? Mark. Hi, Jim. Thanks for the excellent insight you so generously share and for that recommendation of Doximity. Oh, that what a company that is. My dog, bunch of my doctors told me to recommend that, just so you know. And they did it without me knowing that I was, you know, it just happens to be one of them right here. It, the, the issue with Doximity is not everybody knows about it. As they, as they do, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. How can I help you? Uh, my question concerns a stock I bought in July at $59.00. Since then, it steadily declined, and then a large recall hit it further, although there was a bit of a bounce today. What do you suggest I do with my holdings in General Motors? I think you can hold General Motors. I think you can buy Ford. I think that, by the way, uh, Ford represents superior value. It's up 35 cents today. Ford's going to have by far the best product lineup. Uh, I think Ford's going to be a monster stock. Monster. Antonio in Michigan. Antonio. Hey, Jim. Um, you've talked about the stock a few times. Uh, I believe the last time was back in May. Uh, but since then, the stock has gone down uh, quite a bit. And I was wondering, with their recent acquisitions of Pago Effecto and Via Fentech, I was curious if we're still in on the Bill Foley-backed PaySafe. Boy, I'll tell you, it's like a lot of the other SPACs. It's just a disaster. Um, it's down 42%. Frankly, I wish i never heard of the word SPAC. Is it a word? 
Anyway, look, the days of Amazon being the retail Death Star, I'm pronouncing them over. Brick and mortar striking back. And companies like CVS, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, and Costco are giving Amazon a real run for its money. On Mad Money Tonight, Denbury Resources is going, undergoing a complete transformation from bankruptcy to 170% gain this year alone. So could the company uh, focus on being the leader of carbon capture continue to capture the attention of Wall Street? Let's talk to the CEO. And U.S. Treasuries have seen their yields plummet over the last few months. So where could bonds be headed next? And you know how important that is for the stock market. I'm going off the charts. And Prothena is on a mission to help millions of Americans suffering from Alzheimer's. I'm checking in with the top brass to learn more about their technology, how it can be applied to other diseases, and you're never going to feel the same about this company after listening to this, so why don't you stay with Kramer? Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. You know the climate change debate is over when even the oil companies are bending over backwards to reduce their carbon emissions. Of course, if you're in the business of burning fossil fuels, it's tough to go green, isn't it? There's only so much you can do to offset the damage to the environment. But what if we had the technology to solve that problem? Now, there's an interesting question, right? A couple weeks ago, we spoke to RBN's Rusty Brazil. He's my favorite energy expert about something called carbon capture and storage. This is tech that reduces your carbon footprint by trapping the emissions from oil or gas or even coal so they can't escape into the atmosphere. Now, we've been hearing about carbon capture for decades because it would be the least disruptive way to fight global warming. But the technology never seemed to deliver or got too expensive. So, so what is going on? What's going on now? And what's changed? See, now we've got oil companies on the case. And I want to talk about Denbury. That's an independent oil producer with a long history of using carbon dioxide to get crude out of the ground. In recent years, they've used that ex- expertise to make a big push into carbon capture use and storage, where they've become an industry leader, if not the leader. No wonder this stock has massively outperformed its peers, up 170% year to date. So can this thing keep running? Let's take a closer look with Chris Kendall the president and CEO of Denver, to learn more about his company and the nascent carbon capture industry. Mr. Kendall, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Well, I've got to tell you, Chris, uh, it is a joy to have you because I'm going to ask a question to you that I want our audience to hear. Is it possible for a carb- an oil company to be carbon negative? 
Jim, it absolutely is possible, and that's the path that that we're on here at Denbury. You know, in your introduction, you talked about uh, putting carbon underground, and when we can combine that with this uh, with this business and actually focus on that, putting industrial source CO two permanently underground, in in some ways producing oil through that uh, that has a negative carbon footprint, you can absolutely get there. Okay, now I want people to understand twenty five percent of your carbon dioxide is from industrial use. I've been to Guy Smart where you've got the, the possibility, you've got literally carbon dioxide that would be spewed into the environment and you're harnessing it in a positive way. That's right, Jim. And, and Geismar uh, combined on the Gulf Coast, we're taking about a million tons annually of industrial CO2. Across the company, more than 3 million tons annually all of which would go up into the air, as you mentioned, uh, otherwise. And now, what we're doing with it instead, we're putting it underground permanently. And, now, and in our business right now, we're producing oil. Ultimately, much storage is going to go into the ground uh, permanently with or without oil. Yeah, well, I wanted people to know, I mean, this is not a charity and it is not some sort of economic or ecological experiment. You are fundamentally a very large oil company and one of the, if not the most oil versus gas company in an era where we really want oil. So why don't you give us a little overview about the oil side before we go back to the carbon capture side? Yeah, you bet, Jim. And and, uh, and you're right. About 97, 98 percent of our production is is uh, crude oil. Uh, just the nature of this business where we focus on enhanced oil recovery and enhanced oil recovery is essentially taking carbon dioxide which when we put it underground, it acts like a solvent with the oil. So it'll combine with oil that's already in the ground, take more oil out than ever could have been produced in the first place. And we leave the carbon dioxide ultimately underground. And, and, but in doing so, we can produce oil in good quantities like you just mentioned. Now, you do have one of the largest places to store CO2, correct? Um, well, that's right. And so if you think about where CO2 is stored today, the primary places for storage of CO2 are in underground reservoirs, uh, typically in oil and gas res- reservoirs in the enhanced oil recovery process. And uh, just as an example, uh, the reservoirs that we have today, we see the ability to store over 150 million tons of CO2 in those very reservoirs over time. So how about a partner? How about someone big? I mentioned that Exxon, which I know you're the old iteration, Denver, you did some business with. But I mean, doesn't someone want to tap into at least your expertise, if not your pipelines and your dome? Um, you, you bet. Uh, you know, when I think about it, Jim, we have a great business here. We have over the years built a, a massive infrastructure in the heart of the Gulf Coast Industrial Corridor. And uh, and we see that as a great point to do just tremendous things with carbon capture on the Gulf Coast and beyond. Um, honestly, we feel good about where we are. We have a business that uh, even though we're relatively small compared to, to some folks like that, we think we can punch above our weight. And uh, right now we're focused primarily on doing what we can with uh, the assets that we have, with this great expertise that we have as a company that we've developed over more than two decades to just make this carbon capture business as big as it possibly can be for Denbury. Well, look, you are the role model for the industry, and I want people to understand there was a Denbury before this proceeded to held a couple billion dollars in senior debt. 
That is now gone, as are some of the hedges that you had to have that were prohibitive. You are basically one very clean balance sheet growth company that happens to be in the oil business, correct? No, that's right, Jim. Well, look, I just hope that other people listen to your story and stop saying, you know what, there's nothing we can do. We're carbon because you have proven that you're far from that. And we can put that CO2 in places we don't have to see it or smell it or feel it. Correct. That's exactly right. Um, It's not well known, but carbon capture is behind only solar and wind in terms of how much of an impact it can make on carbon emissions. Uh, just looking at the IEA's uh, recent forecast for what carbon capture can become, whereas today in the whole world, we're capturing about 40 million tons of CO2 per year. Right. These, th- that number needs to grow to five, six or seven billion tons per year uh, to, to really be what it can be. And honestly, Jim, when I look at it, I see that possibility. We have the ability to massively scale both at Denbury and as an entire industry We don't have to make technological leaps to get there. This is using existing technology, um, using existing skills that a company like Denbury has in in buckets right here. Well, look, you know what I'm going to be pushing for from now on? I am delighted that you're on. I'm no longer going to take, sorry, we can't help for an answer because just because you're an oil company doesn't mean you can't do well. And that is very grateful to have Chris Kendall, president CEO of Denbury, DEN. Sir, it's great to talk to you. Thank you. Great being with you, Jim. Thank you very much. No more excuses, oil companies. You just heard what this man had to say, and Mad Money's back at the break. Coming up, anyone up for some treasury hunting? The word is bond when Kramer goes off the charts on U.S. paper. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. For months now, the bears haven't been able to shut up about inflation. Yeah, the dangers of inflation. You've heard it endlessly. The economy is overheating. Price increases are out of control. So the Federal Reserve needs to slam the brakes before it's too late. However, this whole time, the bond market's been telling you a very different story. Rather than an overheated economy, they've been painting a picture of a slowdown, something that seems to be coming true. Bonds may be boring, but remember, the bond market is much larger and much more important than the stock market. 
stocks tend to take their cue from bonds, not the other way around. That would be like the tail wagging the dog. So it matters that U.S. Treasuries have seen their yields plummet over the last few months. Remember, Treasury yields are the best representation of long-term interest rates. When they go up, it means investors feel more confident about the future because they're expecting more demand for borrowed money. When Treasury yields go down, it means investors think the economy is about to get worse because they're expecting less demand for borrowed money. Four months ago, the benchmark 10-year Treasury had a 1.6% yield. Now, as of today, that's fallen to just below 1.3%. I know these are little numbers, but I've got to tell you, 1.6 to 1.3, that's a gut-wrenching decline. And look, the bond market was right. While Treasury yields were melting down in June and July, COVID was gradually making a huge comeback, courtesy of the Delta variant. And the millions of Americans who will not get their shots, refuse to get their shots, whatever you want to say. The worries about an overheated economy were transitory, to use Jay Powell's favorite word. And the bond market telegraphed it perfectly. But now we've got to ask ourselves, where are bonds headed next? And what's that mean for the stock market? So tonight we're going off the charts to answer that question with the help of the legendary Larry Williams. He's an iconic technician who's been trading stocks, futures, and commodities since I was a kid. He's written more than a dozen books and created a host of indicators. We talk about his indicators all the time. We're going to see some tonight. More important, ever since the pandemic got rolling, he's had an unbelievably good track record. Uh, Don't forget, Williams is the one who called the bottom in April of last year, when nearly everyone else was still in panic mode. With that in mind, what does he see for the bond market? All right, let's start with this. First, take a look at this weekly chart of 30-year U.S. Treasuries going back to 2017, okay? And remember, bond prices are the opposite of bond yields. When the price goes up, the yield goes down and vice versa. Williams is the master of identifying historical patterns. And in this chart, you can see the seasonal pattern in 30-year Treasuries, okay, and that's blue, right? That's the blue line. He points out that for the last several years, Treasury bonds have a distinct tendency to start falling in late August and in early September. There we go. If that pattern holds true this year, then it would mean we are about to see a significant rally in long-term interest rates. Of course, these seasonal trends are far from perfect. Sometimes they don't work out. That's why Williams is always looking for other sources of confirmation of a potential decline. So let's take a look. Now, this is you're looking at a chart of the 30 year U.S. Treasury bonds. And now we're looking at the seasonal pattern much more pronounced. The daily chart of the 30 years is for uh, the next four months. Take a look at this. Right. The seasonal pattern is of uh, this one is a little different because it's based on the daily action. OK, meaning it's more granular. Williams points out that when you zoom in, the seasonal pattern shows that bond prices tend to get hammered in the first week of September. Here we go. He thinks that's the week the professional traders will be watching. It's the week you should be watching. Now, like I said, Williams is great at identifying cycles. When you look at the weekly chart going back to 2019, there's something else he spotted. He says that this red line is the dominant cycle for Treasury bonds in recent years. And once again, look at this. It shows it shows that bond prices could be poised for a major decline, rates going up in the very near future. All right, what if you want something more concrete than these forecasts that are really just extrapolations of the bond market's past behavior? I got an idea. For that, Williams likes to fall back on the Commodity Futures Trading Commission's weekly commitment of traders report. And we've talked about this COT report before, okay? Um, this is a treasure trove of data about what futures traders are up to. The CFTC breaks it into three categories. Small speculators, meaning home gainers. Large speculators, meaning big institutional money managers. And commercial hedgers, businesses that are buying or selling futures contracts, not as trades, but to protect themselves. 
There are treasury futures, too. When dealing with this data, there's one pattern in particular that William sees as a terrific sell signal. He likes to watch the small speculators and the commercial hedgers. When the small speculators are buying, and here we're taking a look at the small small speculators, when they're buying uh, while the commercial operators are selling, and that's the red line, okay, he says that's your cue to get out of Dodge. What makes this such a good pattern? When we're talking about futures, the small speculators are likely to know the least, while the commercial hedgers, in this case mostly banks and governments, are likely to know the most about what's going on. So when they're moving in opposite directions, Williams wants to bet on the businesses that know what they're doing. Notice what we're using, Williams Cot. I mean, that's not coincidence. That is, indeed, Williams. When the green line goes up, it means small speculators are getting increasingly bullish. When the red line goes down, well, guess what? It means the commercial hedgers, the guys we count on, are getting increasingly bare. So what happens now? Okay, now look at this chart. We're seeing this precise pattern in the 30-year Treasury's futures, okay? The small speculators representing the public have gotten increasingly bullish on long-term treasuries, while commercial hedgers, mainly the banks, have been dumping them left and right. In a situation like this, somebody has to be wrong. And according to Williams, it's usually not the commercials. Who do you think has a better understanding of the bond market, the public or the plutocrats? My money's always on the plutocrats. There's another way to look at it. Get this. Check out the daily chart. The blue line here shows the on-balance volume. I mean, one thing I love about Larry, he is a teacher, and i got to teach his teachings. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a cumulative indicator that measures volume flow, adding the volume on up days, subtracting the volume on down days. Remember, for technicians, volume is like a polygraph. It lets you know when a move is telling the truth. If something rallies, but there's no follow-through from the on-balance volume line, it tells Williams that that rally will likely be short-lived. Sure enough, when you look at the rally in the Treasuries earlier this summer, okay, the bond prices went to new highs, but the on-balance volume stayed flat. For Williams, that's still another sign that these levels will likely prove to be ephemeral. Flat up. Don't trust it. Put it all together. And he thinks we could be looking at a big downtick in bond prices, which translates into a significant rally in long-term interest rates, which means rates going higher. Now, you can read that as a sign of strength in the economy or a sign that the Fed needs to tighten because inflation's flaring up again, or simply a sign that there's going to be less foreign money flowing into our bond market. But the bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Larry Williams suggest that long-term Treasury bonds are about to get hammered over the next couple of weeks. And you better believe that will have negative consequences for the stock market, which is why I just went through all these charts, because it often presages rate hikes from the Fed. And after this big spike and record high after record high after record high, that's the last thing we want to see right now. Let's go to Alex in New York, please. Alex. Booyah, Jim. It's Alex from Long Island. Oh, good to have you on the show. Good to have you on the show. What's up? Big fan, Jim. I'm looking to get your opinion on Crown Castle and how the new infrastructure bill might help the stock. Okay, candidly, um, we have a big position for the Chapel Trust. You can follow along on ActionAlertsPlus.com. I've got a very big conference call tomorrow, um, but we did sell some. And the reason why we sold some is because it's been flying high and we don't want to get burned. Uh, and so I can't tell you right now, down badly today, I can't tell you right now, as, certainly as I'm excited about it as I was at 160, 170, uh, the infrastructure bill matters so much to them, but not that much. Uh, still a position, uh, not as happy with it up here. Let's go to Daniel in New Jersey. Daniel. Hey, Booyah, Jim. Thanks booyah. for everything that you do for us. Oh, thank you. 
Sir, uh, I was calling about VICI properties trading at $24.50. I want you to buy it. I know Vici from when it came public. It came public at 15. I put the guy on. I couldn't believe it could be so cheap. I told everybody to buy it. Nobody listened to me, I thought. And then I looked up one day and the stock had gone to 33 and now it's pulled back to 29 and it's got a 5% yield. Daniel's got a horse six. The charts suggest that we could be looking at a big downtick in bond prices, which translates into a rally in long-term interest rates. Now, remember, stocks tend to take their cue from bonds, so this action could ultimately have negative consequences for your portfolio. Now, much more man buying ahead, including my exclusive with Prothena. This thing is up huge last year, but investors spotted an opportunity in the under-the-radar biotech stock. I've got the exclusive with the CEO. You are not going to miss that. That stock could be a real gem. Then the COVID cases continue to rise across the country. I'm going to reveal the two cohorts of people that I think have the power to step in and stop the madness. And the lawyer calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. this summer, the FDA came under fire for approving Biogen's Alzheimer's drug over the objection of every single member of their outside advisory panel. I'm not going to relitigate that decision. Instead, I want to talk about how it changed the landscape, because the FDA has effectively lowered the bar for every other company that's working on an Alzheimer's treatment, and they got a lot of people looking at it now. Companies like Prothena, it's a little biotech outfit, it's developing a number of drugs for amyloidosis, that's a disease I really only know from watching house and neurodegenerative diseases, including, yes, Alzheimer's. No wonder Prothena's more than doubled since the FDA approved Biogen's dubious drug in early June. Of course, if the treatment works out, then this stock could have a lot more room to run. But don't take it from me. Let's check in about this terrible topic and what this company is doing, Dr. Gene Kinney. He's the president and CEO of Prothena. Get a better sense of what his company's working on. Dr. Kinney, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks very much for having us, Jim. It's delightful to be here today. Uh, thank you, doctor. Now, I know you're still effectively a development stage company, but you started in 2012, spun off of Elon. Could you just walk us through your area of expertise, particularly trying to explain to us misfolded proteins that have aggregated to form uh, diseases in our own brain? That's exactly right. What we focus on, Jim, is diseases caused by misfolded proteins, precisely what you said. So if you think about cells in your body that make proteins every day, those proteins have to fold in a certain shape in order to do whatever it is they're meant to do, their normal function. Um, But on occasion, they misfold. They fold in an inappropriate way. Um, And when those aren't disposed of properly, they can actually start to accumulate in vital organs. In the case of peripheral types of amyloid disease, they can deposit in many different organs, including the heart, um, which is uh, a very dire situation for a number of individuals. Um, And then in the central nervous system, when we talk about diseases like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, it's accumulation in the brain or in nerve cells of the brain. And so what we focus on at Prothena is how that process actually occurs and how to intervene in that process. So when those proteins go awry, we can actually neutralize the toxicity that's caused by that misfolding event. Now, uh, you are much further along than I think most people realize in terms of going to the clinic with some of these. Could you give us your time frame? And I understand that you're well capitalized. So people listening don't necessarily need to think that, well, with that time frame, you're going to have to raise capital. Yeah, so we have a fulsome portfolio. As I mentioned, you know, this focus on misfolded proteins takes us into two kind of interesting uh, therapeutic areas, the peripheral amyloid disease space, as well as the central nervous system diseases that we're talking about. 
In the peripheral space, for example, we have a drug that's currently in phase three evaluation. This is for a disease known as AL amyloidosis, where when that protein accumulates in the heart, it can lead to very serious morbidity for patients up to and including uh, mortality. And so we worked closely with the FDA uh, and developed a, a phase three protocol under a special protocol assessment agreement with the FDA. That molecule is moving forward. We're continuing to move forward other programs as well. We, we have a, a program in Parkinson's disease with our partners at Roche, which has now moved into a phase 2B study. Um, we have a molecule that's moving from phase 1 to phase 2 in another peripheral amyloid space called PRX004 for a disease known as ATTR amyloidosis. And then, of course, our Alzheimer's disease portfolio, which is, you know, in some ways a one, two, three punch. We have three different legs to that stool that we think are very important in the context of Alzheimer's disease. The first of those molecules has begun clinical trials. That's in partnership with Bristol-Myers Squibb. And then, of course, we have two wholly owned assets in that space um, that we anticipate moving forward in the near term here. Okay, let's talk about the wholly owned first. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm looking at a, a document from ECOR1 Capital, a board member, uh, Oleg uh, Nodelman, and right. a very smart man. He's done a lot of investing. And he's looking at uh, comparing what Biogen has, uh, also what Lilly has. And he does mention he feels that um, that Prothena might have a 10 times more potent version of Biogen's drug that will be in the clinic next year. No, obviously, Biogen is up substantially, even as I question the $56,000 nature of it. But do you think that it's possible that yours could be 10 times more potent? That's a board member well, talking. Uh, well, so in the experimental studies that we've shown to date, when we look at the interaction with the protein that these types of uh, potential therapies interact with, uh, the protein's name is amyloid beta, um, it is, in fact, over ten, tenfold more potent in terms of interacting with that protein. And we think that that's very important. At the end of the day, you know, what we need to deliver to patients is benefit. You know, that benefit needs to be, you know, a better profile in terms of both convenience and efficacy. Um, ultimately, that benefit needs to expand beyond the patient for caregivers, for society as a whole. Um, as you know, Jim, this is a, a, a terrible disease. The societal costs here are enormous. And, you know, what we're looking to do with molecules like PRX12, as well as the rest of our Alzheimer's portfolio, is really contribute to a solution, bring costs out of that system. And I think that's how we think about it every day as we wake up and go to work. Well, given what I've seen of the stock of Lilly and the stock of uh, Biogen, and you're by no means as promotional, frankly, as the people from Biogen, I find it uh, difficult to think that if you've got something really great that a Bristol, which is a partner on one part, or a Roche, another, or a Pfizer, which desperately, or Merck, which have these big product ho holes in their portfolio, that it will be difficult to stay independent if this phase three works, it, it, if the stock stays at this low price. Well, I mean, so obviously we, we don't get up every day and think about that component. What we think about is how to bring these therapies forward. Right. We think about how to translate our science, demonstrate the value and the benefit of our science to patients. Um, and that's what we're focused on. I, I will say that, you know, as you pointed out, we enjoy collaborations within our portfolio because we have a fulsome R&D portfolio. It allows us to be very strategic in terms of having both great collaborations. And you mentioned the names mm -hmm. of, of some of those wonderful collaborators we're able to, uh, to work with. So Bristol-Myers, Squibb, Roche, for our Parkinson's program, um, and even Novo Nordisk more recently right. in the context of a peripheral amyloid program. But of course, you know, having that capital structure also allows us to maintain 
wholly assets where we think we can expedite, we have the expertise to expedite those molecules to patients and deliver those to patients on as expedited a path as is warranted by the data. Well, I am very glad that you are not highly promotional because I don't want to give false hopes to the many people who are suffering or parents of, of others who are suffering. But I, I have to wish you the best of luck, sir, because so far I think that you are... You've got something that may be better than what is the current uh, FDA formulation with Biogen. Uh, and I, I just hope you can pull it off. It'll be really great news. Thank you so much for coming on to Mad Money. Well, thank you, Jim. Thanks for having us. Yeah. That's Dr. Gene Kinney, president and CEO of, of Prothena. Non-promotional. I like that. But with drugs that people tell me are very strong and you know the indications. So you make up your mind. Mad Money's back to just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time. It's time for the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skip that. The lightning round is over. Start with Howard in Texas. Howard. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, man, I'm looking at uh, Joby Aviation, and I'm wondering if I should buy now or wait. No, no, no. Let it go. I think go down to $7, $8, and then you can pick some up. I, I just don't see a lot going there. I just don't. Okay, let's go to Sebastian in New York. Sebastian. Hey, what's up, Jim? How you doing, my brother? I am doing well. How about you, Sebastian? Good, man. Listen, I'm calling about a ticker symbol MMAT, Metamaterials Inc. Small, small Canadian company, are we? Okay, now, one of these things, when you have these little metals coming, this is not like a little cancer company where I'll, I'll say buy it like Trillium. This is one where I really question the long-term approach of them. I don't want to own it. Tina in California. Tina. Hello, Kramer. Hey, hey what's going Tina on, Tina? California. How are you? Uh, not, I am great, thank you. I just want to let you know that I'm a new Kramer fan, and I love, love, love your show and all your wisdom. Oh, I am well, you're very kind. Thank you. Hey, tell people on Twitter that. We'll get it going. Thank you. What's up? Sure. So what I wanted to know was, as a retired dividend investor, I wanted to know if sticker symbol A-C-R-E is worth buying, or do you think it's a no-go? That's a middle market lender. Those are, uh, first of all, junk bond funds have been falling like I, 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 like stones. Um, I don't like, I think that these historically, when I've recommended them, have been a mistake. I'm not going to deviate. I'm not going to recommend that stock. I need to go to Tony in Washington. Tony. Uh, booyah, Jim. Uh, first time caller, long time fan. Excellent. Thank you. Enjoying, yeah, I've been enjoying the uh all the education and entertainment you've provided. Oh, since, thank you. Uh, Trying to keep it interesting so people can learn. Okay. Thank you. What do we got? Yeah. Uh, my question is about Willis Towers Watson, ticker WLTW. You know, look, that's a very good brokerage company. I like it very much. Um, it's not going to hurt you. I don't think it's going to excite you. Uh, but it does. It is profitable and it's doing well. How about that? Let's leave it at that. I need to go to Russell in Texas. Russell. Well, hi there, Jim. Hey, thanks for what you do for us individual You're investors. You're quite welcome, You're man. You're a good man. Quite welcome. And and I tell you what, I love your sense of humor. You make me laugh almost every day. Well, then I got it. Because I got to get people interested in the topic so they can study and learn. That's right. And I've been studying and learning. Okay. And mad money, buddy. I appreciate it. Hey, I got a stock here that's 
that was on a really, it's hot here in Texas, this stock was hot before the pandemic, but it really got hit in March of 2020. It's a specialty chemical company. I've done well since I bought it after March of 20. But uh, what do you think of NGVT Ingevity? It's a specialty chemical company. You know, I think it's a really interesting company. Uh, I, this is the kind of specialty, this is the kind of particular chemical company I like. Good growth, makes money, not sells for an expensive price. That's the kind of stock I think when you do homework, you come up with and you make money. Don in Nevada, Don. Yes, I have a question for you. First, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, the question is about Alba Marley, ALB. <laughs> All right. Alba Marley is a great company with a very expensive stock and terrific growth. It is more speculative than I like at this point, but it is a very good company, and I think it's worth buying. Let's go. Oh, no, that's it. And that, and that my friends, is the end of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, can the government re-energize a COVID effort that's been thwarted at every turn? Kramer pulls no punches. Next. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. We're a year and a half into the pandemic, and I still can't get over how nobody with an ounce of authority wants to take any responsibility for actually beating this thing. The CDC, the FDA, the NIH, the vast majority of businesses, it's like they think it's somebody else's problem. We know the FDA waited too long to give final approval for these vaccines. The whole idea that we needed billions of people to take the visor shot before they could fully approve it, uh, rather than letting us take it under emergency use authorization, it's totally absurd. This is the same FDA that blessed a $56,000 a year Alzheimer's treatment from Biogen, even though not a single member of its advisory panel gave the drug a thumbs up. When you do a little digging, it's clear the FDA only approved the Biogen drug to encourage other companies to develop better Alzheimer meds, like a Prothena, not because it was a superior treatment for terrible disease. Still think about it. We have millions dying of COVID around the world. We have multiple vaccines that work, but rather than giving them the green light, the FDA approves an expensive Alzheimer's drug that probably doesn't work, at least according to 10 of the 11 members of the expert advisory panel. When the drug got approved anyway, three of those advisors resigned in protest, one of them calling it probably the worst drug approval in recent U.S. history. That's insane. Of course, the idea that full FDA approval will somehow convince anti-vaxxers is pretty silly. If you didn't trust the vaccine before, it's not because you're waiting on the, the FDA. I mean, this is not something the government can fix even through, uh, well, except through coercion. You'll hear a lot of people say that businesses needed the FDA approval before they could start mandating vaccinations. Of course, that's nonsense. I think it gives them a little cover, but there was never anything stopping them from saying, hey, either get vaccinated or get fired. I mean, that's good policy, one that protects both its customers and its employees. What drives me nuts is that any business could have done this at any time. This should have been the policy six months ago. But the people running these companies lacked the courage, even as they, of course, they got vaccinated themselves. They were too afraid of the backlash to do the right thing. Many felt like they were powerless without a federal vaccine mandate. Not true. They just didn't want to be the ones to go out on a limb. Everybody wants to pass the buck. And that's the story of our COVID response all the way around. 
From a legal perspective, the only case we have that matters is a federal ruling that said employers have every right to demand vaccinations. Yet only the CEO of Norwegian Cruise Lines was willing to stand up for this, going so far as to pick a fight with the governor of Florida, who wanted the unvaccinated to be treated as a protected class. The judge more or less said that was ludicrous. Now, we're in a moment where we can once again try to stop or at least slow the spread of the pandemic. But I got to tell you, it will never go away until we use all the tools at our disposal. And we're just not doing that. For example, right now we have a monoclonal antibody trip made by Regeneron. That can keep you out of the hospital if you get infected. Yet the government's not encouraging it. its use. Not at all. It's reaching fewer than 30 percent of the people who could benefit from it. How is it possible the feds aren't promoting this drug that could save more than a million people from hospitalization and ICUs throughout the recalcitrant South that are packed to the gills? How, how can I not support that? I don't know if it's incompetence or cowardice, the fear of making any decision when you could just keep your head down. But either way, it's a travesty. Worst of all, our government refuses to make vaccinations mandatory nationally, taking the power back from local jurisdictions. Acts like you can't. I know it sounds harsh, but we should be using the full power of the state to wipe out this virus. And I am not afraid to say that on air or get hit in Twitter. I'm not. The fact that neither the feds nor the states will go there is proof that they're not taking COVID as seriously as it should be. Same goes for the employers. Oh, and don't get me started on the need for quicker boosters. These darn things will lose efficacy a lot faster than eight months. Six is more like it. They just don't want to tell you that. Somebody with some level of authority needs to force people to get their shots. And until that happens, this thing is not going away. You know what? Maybe we just have to live with it and hope we don't die from it. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 